0: The world that we live in today, do you think it is better or worse off because of Christianity? There's a lot of people that have lost faith in organized religion and the church in general. Actually, there's quite a few that say they would prefer not to be religious at all, have no religion. Skeptics would say that all of the world's problems can be traced back to organized religion. Maybe this has been your position, And if so, I'd like to help investigate that claim a little bit further. Welcome to Valley Lights Online. My name is Bruce. I'm the lead pastor of this church, and I'm really glad that you've tuned in to join us today. This is our sixth message in a series called The Difference. We've been tracing the verifiable positive impact of the Christian movement in our world. And so far, we've looked at the investigative evidence for the resurrection, what started the whole thing. We've also looked at the positive change through Christian government leaders, sometimes over whole nations. Uh, We've looked at the compassion and aid efforts initiated by Christians. We've also looked at groups that have raised the inherent value of women and children in society, especially in places where women were very devalued and shunned. And we've also looked at Some of the efforts done by Christians to eliminate racism and slavery in our world. All of those messages that we've had so far in this series, they've touched on relevant issues, like really in the news, the things that you see right now. And today we're going to discuss one other aspect of human life that comes into play with the spread of Christianity. When the message of Jesus spreads, it's not always been welcome. As a matter of fact, many believers through the centuries have been willing to pay a very high price to share the message of Jesus. Many Christians, you know, in history and still today are in areas that are hostile to Christianity, and they've really suffered painful persecution. And what you find out is a lot of them press on. They press on despite the opposition. To quickly bring us up to speed on this topic, I want to show you a video from the founder of the Voice of the Martyrs. His name is Richard w- Wurmbrand, and he was an evangelical minister who endured 14 years of communist imprisonment and torture in his homeland of Romania. And the video's a little intense. It's, it's actually of an actor portraying this man's life, and uh, what Richard and others, really, you know, those that have hurt persecuted for their faith. It just illustrates a little bit of what they might have gone through. And uh, after you see it, which it's a little bit of an uncomfortable video, I'll explain more about why it's helpful for us to look at it today. So check this out.
1: After being arrested, I spent the next three years in a solitary cell. It was enough to drive any man mad Damate Savonarola wrote, There are those who believe in God and those who, just as sincerely, believe that they believe. Now I had to ask myself, did I believe in God? That we are persecuted but not abandoned. So please do not abandon us. My wife Sabina had also been arrested. We <laughs> Sabina Wurfran. My son Mihail, left orphan. Sabina would spend the next 18 months in a slave labor camp on the Danube. In these my darkest hours, my only hope was in prayer. Of course, in prison, prayer was forbidden. In spite of the beatings, I prayed every day. I prayed God would give me strength to endure. And of course, I prayed for my family. were beaten so often and so brutally communism had stripped them of any form of humanity and only God's love could restore them. Iar te rogi? Ești împit! Băiatul nu mai are casă! Nevastă ta e arestată! Viața ta e distrusă, mă, băiatule, și tu te rogi în continuare la dumnezeu la tău care nici măcar n-are chip. Pentru ce căca te mai rogi, mă? Pentru ce te mai roști tu acum? Mă rugam pentru tine. I in the sin, but never the sinner, and some, we even want to Christ.
0: You know what's interesting to take note of after you watch a video like that is we've, we've read things like that. You know, even in this series, we've read about how Paul, the Apostle Paul, he got stoned beaten with rods. And when you read verses in the Bible that talk about that, you do feel some compassion. But when you watch something dramatized, like what we just saw, the pain, seeing and feeling the pain in a video, it really adds a whole other layer of reality. And it's really helpful for us to know, historically, as Christianity spreads, so too opposition has grown to resist the spread. And what's amazing about the Apostle Paul and this man Richard and countless other stories is that after they've walked through those painful experiences, they don't stop. They just keep sharing their faith. They don't back down. Richard, he led his ministry and spoke about his experience until his dying age of 91. The truth is there have been many attempts to stop the Christian movement. And I'd like to highlight just a few of those. First... Jesus' crucifixion was the first failed attempt to stop the spread of Jesus. You know, we, we actually look in, in, the verse, in the book of Acts. Peter spoke to a huge crowd that had gathered for a Jewish feast day. And look at what he says. He says, Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For Jesus, death wasn't the end, because he held the keys to life and death. Of course, the crucifixion was not successful in stopping Jesus' message from spreading. The first Christian missionaries often were opposed. After this time, Acts 14, we read um, how there were many plans and schemes against them. They just constantly seemed to show up in the ministry of Paul. In uh, 14, it says, When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and they fled to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. So lots of plots. But other ways that Christian missionaries have been opposed is by whole angry mobs. They would go far out of their way to oppose and try to stop Paul's ministry, really just endure great inconvenience to themselves in order to be in opposition. In Acts 14, 19, it says, Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they went over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking that he was dead. He's probably all bruised and bloody and broken. But more opposition has come for them through being beaten and jailed. We looked at that a few weeks ago when Paul and Silas set an enslaved girl free from spiritual bondage, and that brought opposition from those who were profiting from the child. In Acts 16.22, it says, The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. Still others in the initial church of the spread of Christianity, they were hunted down. And we'll look in Acts 17. Paul and Silas arrive in Thessalonica, and once again, they meet opposition. This time, the angry mob can't find Paul or Silas, so they meet a man named Jason. Here's what it says in verse 5. But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city packing Jason's house. They searched for them to bring them out into the public assembly. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jesus's followers were turning the world upside down. And actually, we are, our church, Valley Lights, we're a part of a network of churches. And the network is called the 176 Network and it's actually, it's called that, it's a reference to the verse that we just read. Where it says, These, the, the men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And the reason for that is we're aiming to create life-changing churches who turn the world upside down. Which actually would become the right side up from God's point of view. Because it's actually much of the way the world persists in darkness is actually upside down, and we want to turn it right. So our vision is this. The vision of churches in the Seventeen Six network is to see life-changing churches multiply throughout the world. And, uh, you know, sometimes, um, you know, people ask me or other pastors in our network, hey, where can I find a church for my friends or my family that's, that's similar to Valley Light's? you know, where they practice the heart attitudes and things are done a certain way. Well, here's, here's actually a link to the uh, webpage, the landing page for the 176 network. And you can see, um, here's one page of a list of churches, a lot of them in California, some in Missouri and Texas and other places on the East Coast as well. Um, here's another page of churches that are listed there. And this is really a church that, uh, a network that bonds together to accomplish this mission. But let's jump back to Paul. The situation in Thessalonica forced them to lead, to, to head out to Berea, which was the next town, and they were people. <laughs> they found some people that were more open and receptive, but they were chased out of that town as well by other people. And so in Acts 17, take a look. Verse 13, it says, But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, They came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. So two men stayed, and they endured the pressure. Paul heads out further for Athens because the mission had to go on. He was motivated and compelled to keep the spread going. Besides all of those different examples of opposition, another point that we might make is that Christians who harbored missionaries were jailed, threatened, and fined. We see that with Jason, as we just read, but it continues to this day in some regions. Um, Again, in Acts 17.6, it says, When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Um, and they said, And Jason has welcomed them. They're all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, some Jesus. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset about this other proclamation about some other spiritual king. And after taking security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. This whole incident shows the heart of why Jesus and His movement have faced so much opposition. There are power structures in our world, governments, chains of influence and leadership, really that are threatened by the Christian movement because we Christians, we ultimately serve another king. We're commanded to follow our leaders and our governments, but when, when the government does those things that are in opposition and contrary, To what God says, well, we gotta follow the real king. That means that someone else is my master; someone else leads me. And power is a major status symbol for most of the world. That's why countries want to take out, take over other countries. That's why leaders want to grab for more and have more control. Power is very desirable. Christians are a threat because we can't be controlled. (laughs) We can't be dominated. Instead, we Christians humbly serve, and that infuriates many that have been in power in the course of history. So if Christianity truly has done so much good, as we've spent the past five weeks examining in different areas of human life and existence, if Christianity has done so much good, why are there so many attempts to stop it? First of all, God's enemy is behind the opposition, and God's wisdom he allows our enemy to oppose us. This is briefly described in Revelation chapter 13, verse 7. It says, It was permitted to wage war against the saints and conquer them. It's, there's this reference to one of God's big spiritual enemies. Um, it was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So really, there's, God has allowed our enemy to wage war against us. Ephesians 6 also explains that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against like people, human, body, people and bodies, but really our enemy is spiritual, and that he's stirring up the power structures and the people in our world to oppose Christians. The good news is that Jesus defeated our enemy on the cross. I, I love this verse in Colossians. I get so much hope. It says that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him, in, in Christ. God made a public spectacle out of the enemy on the cross because it was there that our spiritual enemy, Satan and all his demonic followers, they thought it was done and that they had won. Actually, <laughs> That's actually the point where they were defeated. They were completely fooled. The resurrection showed... God's power to forgive all who would receive him and to change the world. And if we claim the victory in specific situations, we can experience that. Another reason that there's so much opposition to Christianity is that most people resist change. That is just kind of normal for humans. A lot of times people will go through great pains in order to anything that is perceived as a threat to my status quo. Jesus stated his goal really his goal of heart change that's a threat to people. Jesus does want to change some things in your life. He wants to change some things in my life and that that can feel like a threat to us. We man it, it Jesus wants to change some things. I'm not sure if I can trust him. I don't know if that's going to be a change for the better because I sure like doing things my way. And that's that's there's some natural resistance that we all have. And the Apostle Paul, he had said that, man, there's, there's some things that are good that he wants to do, but oftentimes he does the wrong thing. But he doesn't want to do the wrong thing, and he wants to do the good thing, and there's this battle that we experience. For many people, they like their life just the way it is. And if so, they may resist Jesus and his attempts to change them because of the threat to the things that they feel is normal. This is my normal life, this is how I operate. I wanna be in charge of it and I like like normal. Sometimes normal, even if it's dysfunctional, can feel like a cozy blanket that we don't wanna give up. This is why many times we resist change on a personal level. So let me just take a minute and, and be honest for a moment on this whole topic of opposition and persecution and pain, physical pain in my body. This could cause you to freak out. (laughs) Most of us haven't experienced any of the kinds of persecution that we just read about. But just the thought of something painful happening to me or to my wife or to my kids, man, that can make us very uncomfortable and very worried. And you might ask, why are we bringing this whole message series to a conclusion on such a low note, on such a dark note? Well, here's my answer to that. If you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, you're part of a movement that is stronger and more resilient than anything that's been seen on our planet. You get to be a part of the household of God, people who are distinguished by a faith that is stronger than steel. In my opinion, this topic is not a downer, but it's actually pretty inspiring. John Dickerson, the author of Jesus Skeptic, one of the sources we've used... Um, Also, to provide some current evidence for this series, he writes this, The Christian movement has not been stopped by tanks or swords or dictators. When the Soviet Union outlawed Christianity, Christians kept meeting, even when many were killed or sentenced to freeze in gulag camps. And way back when Emperor Nero and other ancient Roman emperors began feeding Christians to the lions in the Colosseums, And when Nero lit Christians on fire in order to illuminate his garden parties at night, the movement kept growing. And when men would use swords to just slaughter whole villages of Jesus' followers, or when devout Christians peacefully living in mountains, monasteries, were run through, the movement still continued to advance around the world. The influence of Jesus hasn't been stopped by language barriers, by continental divides, by cultural divides, or by the implosion of civilizations. Ever since Jesus lived and claimed to be God, his movement has been growing. And no power on earth or in hell has been able to silence, stifle, or stop it. Seeing the endurance of godly men and women before me, those that have gone before me, man, that, that leads me to believe I, I just might have access to a faith that's much more resilient than I realize. We showed this video at the beginning of the series, but I want to show you it one more time. This actually is just a global snapshot of the spread of Christianity. I want you to just have some of these examples in mind as you see the spread occur. Check out this video once again. I hope that is an encouragement to you. One very important step that we can take as believers, if you follow Jesus Christ and you walk with him and you've decided that he's your Lord, then this is for you. You might take a next step and, and decide now that I will trust God, come what may. I've often put myself in the shoes of martyrs like, or, or, or people that have suffered, like Richard Wombrandt, and I've wondered, what would it be like? My gosh, what would it be like to have that much pain or to have my family ripped away from me? How could I handle it? And the conclusion that I've reached is I will trust God and I will never recant and I will never turn back, no matter what happens. If I experience severe persecution, I believe that God will give me the grace in that moment to bear it. I don't think that God necessarily gives each of us the grace. To bear it ahead of time, I don't think we have all that we need spiritually to endure it now, because we're not there now. We may never be there. But in the moment, I know at that time, if I have determined to trust Him no matter what, He will supply what's needed, and that's been the testimony of many that have endured trouble. Here's a picture of baptism, and in a way, one of the reasons I love baptism. When we just here's one that we just did is this is a public statement. Part of the reason we get baptized is to make a public deco- declaration that Jesus is my Lord. And I'm saying when I go under the water that I'm, I'm not turning back. This is my testimony to the world that I'm a Christ follower, and that's never going to change. I've read many books of brave church leaders, of courageous Christian men and women, and in a lot of biographies, pain is a very common theme. I've read the book Twelve Years a Slave. I've read a missionary biography called Peace Child, another one called Bruchko. Um, I read a book on Dawson Trotman, a man who helped start a discipleship movement in the 50s. Um, that's actually where we, partly where we got the name for one of our sons, Dawson. I've read The Hiding Place about Cory Ten Boom in Nazi Germany, about Louis Zamperini. You know, a movie been made about him called Unbroken. Although they leave out some of the spiritual significance of his life in the movie. Uh, Darlene Dibler, POW, in uh, the Philippines area, experienced tremendous suffering. I've read about the Heavenly Man, who's an an Asian brother, who endured probably the worst pain and torture that I've ever read about. I've read about God Smuggler, uh, Brother Andrew, who who smuggled Bibles into closed nations throughout Europe and the Slavic regions. And I've also read about The Insanity of God by author Nick Ripkin, who talks about just how prevalent persecution is in the church, even in our world today. And in all the books that I've read about these topics, every person who faithfully endured and trusted God said that they would not trade it. They would not trade their painful experiences because of the richness and the depth of faith that was produced in them. The closer communion with Christ outweighed all of the pain. And along similar lines, another next step that you might take right now is to refuse intimidation and to ask God for courage to keep spreading the message here. You might feel intimidated. Um, it could be by individual people who ridicule and threaten us and the things that we believe. But we might also feel intimidated by the large shifts happening in our culture and society right now. In many ways, that I'm sure you've noticed, our society is driving hard away from things that please God. It feels like the darkness and confusion and the twisting of truth is just on the rise. And this can make us feel despairing. Let us ask God for courage to keep sharing the good news to keep shining a light on his ways, for us to boldly stand for what is right and say what is right, even when it's very unpopular and there's a cost to declare it. If you read further, as we mentioned in Acts 17, there were some protesters that followed Paul to Berea. And again, it's just, it's just like these people. They go out of their way to persecute and trouble and bring pain into Paul's life and just to do whatever they can to stop. They just go way out of their way. But Paul moves, further, you know, Paul moves further west. He keeps sharing the gospel. And two other guys, Silas and Timothy, they, just, they decide to stay put in the face of opposition and to continue the work in Berea. This brings to mind how in recent years, some people have fled California. And there's a variety of reasons. There's, you know, there's certainly you know, good reasons to move out of California. But in some cases, it may be that the primary motivator is fear. Or that the primary motivator is to find a safer, friendlier place to live and to raise a family. Other people have wrestled through the fears and they've in the tension and they've decided to stay. Praise God for those who have refused intimidation and have decided to take a stand in a place where it is really needed. For example, OCC is our sending church there in Riverside, and. That's a a big college town, a lot of big universities there, and they've experienced a major training opportunity with a pipeline of students um, becoming Christians, following God, and then training for leadership and church planting. Um, Another one of our churches in our network, actually this is our our great grandparent church, uh, Church in the Valley They're in Ontario, they're currently right in the middle of the largest housing development in the history of California. And of course, Southern California is a major population center there's 24 million people here in socal and this state in this region especially has got a lot of resources there's a lot of wealthier, and a lot uh, there's a lot that could be turned for good imagine how god might leverage the even just the people resources in our state despite the discouraging news that you may read about where we're headed god may still use us for mighty things since we have brothers and sisters who are experiencing greater persecution than we do, there's one more step that we might take, and that is to pray for those in hostile regions. When Paul was imprisoned, at one point he wrote to one of the churches, and he was asking for prayer. And he said, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us, for, for, to us for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. We can pray for the release and the protection, and and also that God would use the painful situations as a door for the word to be shared. So, we've spent six weeks talking about the impact of the Christian movement in our world. Perhaps now you have more reason to to declare that our world truly is better off since Jesus came But I want to bring this whole series to a close by asking two questions. And my first question is directed to those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, Deciding to make Jesus the Lord and boss of every area of your life is something that you're still working out. My question to you is, will you entrust your life to Him? You can see that the message of Jesus has been spreading unstoppable through the ages. Christ's followers have been growing in number. God may be wanting the message of hope to spread into your life. And more than likely, there are spiritual forces opposing you. And they have been. They've, for a while, they've been blocking you from taking the next step in your spiritual journey. Just as we read about many examples of opposition today, you may feel an internal battle. Maybe you want to establish Jesus as the Lord and the ruling king, the boss of your life, but something's blocking you. Jesus taught that we all carry shame, guilt, pain, and regret around with us, and more. We carry these broken parts of our past like a backpack full of rocks. We've got painful memories and broken identities and regrets and failures. And that's why Jesus also said that he would give rest to the restless souls that are seeking him. If you need real peace in your life, it's time that you remove the obstacles, push through the opposition, and cross the line of faith. And if you want help with that, let us know. I'd love to talk through that with you. My second question is for you Christians, those that are followers and believers in Jesus Christ. My question to you is, will you make your life about God's kingdom, not yours? We feel the pull toward building our own kingdoms. That's why we want to live in nicer, safer places. But if you decided to make a real difference in our world, you just might be signing yourself up for some opposition. In my family, we often talk about the double O's. Um, That would be opposition and opportunity. And what I've seen is that whenever God provides an opportunity for ministry or serving or helping or, or faith, there's usually some opposition right around the corner. Maybe there's an opportunity to attend an event at church or for somebody, but then I get sick or one of my kids gets sick. Or maybe there's an opportunity to be generous, but then an unexpected bill comes up. Or maybe there's an opportunity to invest in the church, but then, man, there's just a fun activity personally that gets in the way. Or there's an opportunity for me to encourage someone, but then I get really discouraged about something. God might bring you the double O's this week. He may bring you some opportunities. He may bring you some opportunities this summer. Well, if so, I'd plan on the enemy bringing some opposition as well, because opposition is just a normal part of the Christian life. Opposition doesn't always mean that you're doing something wrong. In fact, you might be doing something right. You know what's amazing is before we started this church, uh, a lot of people gave me advice. In fact, I asked for a lot of advice. And one person told me that, um, you know what? Wherever God's leaving, leading, he'll He'll pave the way. And if you hit some unexpected barriers or some things get really difficult, then you should reevaluate what you're doing because the path that God gives you should be smooth. He'll open the doors. And I do appreciate the advice, but it's completely wrong. <laughs> I just want to say that if, if I would have uh, redirected when things got hard or when there were obstacles, we wouldn't have made it a month in this. It's been extremely difficult, and there have been a lot of different kinds of opposition that we've faced. Opposition, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing something wrong. It may be the very opposite. It may be that the enemy is opposing us because we're doing something right. Your life is going to be about something. Something we can decide to make our life about God's kingdom. We can make little shifts and little decisions to stop building our own little kingdoms. God's going to advance his plans regardless of what we do, but he gives us the chance to sacrifice and to join him in his work. Will you inconvenience yourself and be a part of making an eternal difference? In just a second, I'd like to pray, and then I'd like to share one more opportunity with you. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your sovereign plan to bring light and hope to those that you're saving and redeeming and for the way that your kingdom has it's been on the move and has been expanding unstoppable since the resurrection. It certainly does seem that following you will come at a cost and that's been the story for countless thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians in the years. Lord, we, let us declare with faith that we will trust you. We will never turn back or recant. And let us have the grace from you to endure the difficulties as they come. Would you provide us with that, all that we need to endure? And for those that are sorting, I pray that you would shed light and give help in removing obstacles so that they can find eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Next week, I'm really excited because we're going to have um, a real focused look, a talk about how do you put your faith in God when, how do you keep trusting Him when things are not panning out the way that you would want them to? And what does it look like to continually trust God in, in those difficulties? I hope you join us for that. And the opportunity I want to give to you now is that some of you listening, this is your church home. Valley Lights, it's, it's the church that you'd call home, and if that's you, you probably want our church to keep going strong, and I will say newer, smaller churches tend to have a hard time surviving the summer months. Uh, that's especially when involvement dips. My hope as we head into the summer is that we're not only able to survive, but that actually we can remain really strong and stay on mission, and right now you have a chance to make a kind of a mental shift. You might shift from being a consumer to being a co-laborer. And really what that means is consumers think, hey, I'll I'll go to church, but I'll go based on what's good for me, the time that's good for me, if it's convenient. Um, I'll make decisions based on what I get out of it. A co-laborer says, well, I'll be willing to inconvenience myself. I'll do things that actually aren't really that good for me, but it's going to make the work go forward. And so you might make a shift. Here's a few ways that you could do that in a way that would really be helpful. One simple way is to share a meal with somebody from church and really to take initiative to share a meal. A really simple thing of uh, just toasting a dinner at your house just with some friends or some people from church or going out to a meal together, that kind of fellowship around around some food, it can create the community that many people are looking for. So instead of waiting to be asked, why don't you go ahead and just invite someone, invite someone over. And this could even be something that you do throughout the summer. Maybe even you think, I'll do it June and July and August. Um, I'll I'll take initiative to share a meal. Another way that you can shift from consumer to co-laborer is to do holidays and hangouts with others. During the summer, you've got Memorial Day, you've got Fourth of July, you've got Labor Day, you've got the parade in Santa Clarita and the concerts in the park, or maybe you're going to the beach, all kinds of holidays and hangouts. And look around at the people in our church or the people that were in your small group or just people that you know and that you've met and ask yourself, how, how can I bring someone else into my life and into my plans? And start building community that way. Then one third way that you might shift from consumer to co-laborer is to help carry the load in kid zone. So our kid zone classes on Sunday morning, we can use some help for sure. Um, when attendance dips, so do our volunteers. And the funny thing is, usually when we dip, the number of kids in kid zone tends not to dip at all. <laughs> the numbers stay high and still we still need volunteers in there. And uh, our members, people that have become members of Valley Lights, they actually commit to helping out when things get dry. And that's a part of the membership commitment. Um, But whether you are a member or not, being involved in our kids' ministry on Sundays, it may be outside of your normal preference. Maybe you're not crazy about kids. Um, That's partly why this would be a mental shift. It would be probably what's good and needed and less what you want. Um, It really might be a sacrifice to be sitting on the other side of the wall of the main church worship service when church is going on. It may be a sacrifice to do that. Many who serve in kids Zone and have for, for a long time now, would say that, you know, a lot of them would say, you know, I, I'm here in kids Zone, and it's, it's just not about what's good for me. It's about what's needed for the church to grow, and it's about what's going to please God. And so if you'd like to help us out, that would be greatly appreciated, and you can let us know. You can write KidZone on your card, or even talk to Suzanne, who's over our kids' ministry. And all of these things, if you're to do any of those three things, they represent a sacrifice. It's really all of those would require on some level inconveniencing yourself and taking initiative. And if you do that, you just might be among the committed core who help our church family stay strong during the unpredictable months of summer. So I'd appreciate your help. I hope that today's message was helpful for you, and I'll look forward to seeing you next week.